this. If we can understand what God's plan is from the home. First of all, we want to th- think, about God's, uh, think about children being a gift from God. And they are. Uh, they come from God. We're going to look at some passages that uh, will establish that very thing. Um, Genesis chapter 33, verses uh, 4 and 5. Uh, remember the account here as you look at this passage. The account is uh, uh, Jacob had been away from his brother Esau for quite some time. And uh, when he left, he didn't leave on good terms. And so when he comes back, he's, uh, he's fearful that uh, Esau will, as they're united again, that Esau will have uh, hard feelings towards him. And, and uh, in, in a lot of ways, as we would look at it, he might be justified to do that. But the passage says, And Esau ran to meet him, talking about Jacob, and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the women and the children. And he said, Who are these with thee? And he said, the children which God had graciously given to me. This children he's talking about, of course, is going to be the children of Israel. And he says, the children that God hath graciously given to me. And that's something we want to, want to understand, that children that we have, whether we plan to have the children, or they just, you know, come about, uh, they, they're, still, they're still given to us by God, and it's our responsibility, and He gives us that responsibility to uh, be the kind of uh, parents that we need to be in raising them. Oh, man, this is nice. I can look back there and read it down. Psalms chapter 127, verses uh, 3 through 5. Lo, children are inheritance to the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his, is, is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Happy or blessed is the man that has his quiver full of them. Uh, I think I, I came from, uh, I was raised by grandparents. My, my granddad had uh, 11, or he had 10 brothers and sisters. My grandmother had uh, 12 brothers and sisters. So uh, their parents had their quiver full of children. <laughs> they had a lot. And we know what a quiver, a quiver is what holds the arrows. And that's what he's talking about here. But he says, as arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. And we think about, I don't know if I've got any bow hunters here or not. Uh, I know that some people uh, get into that in a big way, and, and I tried one time. And I do know this, that arrows are very important if you want to be successful in bow hunting. They have to be straight, they have to be the right weight and everything, and they have to have the proper fletching. I believe that's, what you call, I believe that's the word you use, the fletching that's just right so that the arrow will sail through the air whenever it's pulled back on the bow. And that's much the way it is with children. We have to prepare those children as a bow hunter would prepare his arrow so that whenever they're shot, they will shoot straight and go out into the world. I was in uh, the South China Sea when our first child was born, and, and uh, I knew it was about time, but we had had an emergency call our ship had, and we had to go to sea, and we weren't receiving mail of any kind. Uh, we did receive uh, radiograms, I guess, because they called me to the bridge, and like I I think I've told you before, when I was in the Navy, I worked, I was one of those rowers down at the bottom of the ship that made it move, you know. But, um, so I went all the way up to the bridge and, and uh, went up to the radio room, rather, and, and uh, they gave me a message, and I had a pretty good idea of what it was. I was just hopeful that everything was okay. And it says, born July 7th, this is 1965, born July 7th, mother, and this guy standing there reading it to me, mother and daughter are doing fine. Mother and daughter, fine. 
stop. And uh, he just kind of played with me. This, and I wanted to get the message from him. You know, I didn't even know what the girl's name was. But uh, we had talked about a boy's name because that's what we thought we were going to have. But it turned out to be a girl. But that was my first child. And whenever I left the bridge, I went down and I got a box of cigars. That's what we did back in the 1960s. We bought a box of cigars and we passed them out, you know, and celebrated being a father or being a parent. But I remember going to bed that night, and I'll not forget this. I do remember going to bed. And I was a pretty happy-go-lucky guy back at that time. Didn't take a lot of things serious. Uh, certainly a lot of things that I should have taken serious, I didn't. But uh, I remember going and crawling in my bunk that night and laying there thinking, now what do I do? <laughs> How do I do this now without messing this up? Because I didn't want to mess it up. And I know you're tired of hearing personal stories about me, but I come from a broken home. I saw my mother and dad fight. I saw my mother throw everything she could get her hands on at my father on more than one occasion. Lamps, ashtrays, dishes, whatever she could. I saw my dad kick down the screen door because he was drunk and the door was locked. He wanted in the house. My dad had a drinking problem. My mother had an anger problem. And those two things did not mix. And uh, so there was a lot of violence here. I grew up seeing a lot of that. And uh, later I went to live with my grandparents. And, and in that home, they were uh, very stoic. It was just the opposite of what I had seen in a lot of ways. But whenever I got married, I wanted to have a good home. I want, if I brought children into the world, I did not want them to see what I had seen. And I had enough sense to know that if we don't do something, if we come from that kind of background, if we don't do something, if we don't initiate something, we're going to do the same thing to the children that we bring into the world that was done to us. And that happens all the time. And I didn't want that to happen. I was very fortunate that I had a wife that was very godly, and, and uh, she, uh, uh, she helped a great deal in regards to the proper training and teaching of children. But children are an heritage of the Lord, and, uh, uh, and we just need to treat them that way. Uh, another illustration real quickly in regards to that. How many of y'all have ever, well, you don't have to answer this, but if you fly a kite, you know what it's like to fly a kite. Uh, back when I was a kid, uh, kites cost 10 cents at the five and nine store. And they were you know, rolled up in a little old deal, you know, a little old, and you take it home. And, and uh, I was, we was tickled to death. We'd beg to get a dime to go buy a kite when it was spring of the year. My grandmother used to tell me, so we just have to make our kites. I said, how'd you make a kite? Well, we'd get a big piece of paper like a newspaper and fold it over some little old sticks and do some things. But anyhow, we made this kite. She had some sticks that, come, that were laid out kind of like this. And, uh, and then the, the paper that went around it, and you had a triangle there. And uh, you had the string around that, and they tied a string in the middle of it. And uh, uh, got a tail, usually bed sheets or something like that. You tied pieces together. But you made the kite. You went through this process of making the kite. And then you had to go out into the pasture or the field somewhere and then fly the kite. If you ever remember what it was like getting that kite up in the air, and the kite gets up there, and all of a sudden, there's a current. And you're faced with, do I pull this thing down? If you pull too tight, you could break the kite. The kite would snap and come crashing to the ground. If you let loose too much, the kite could just, the wind could catch it, the current could catch it, and it's gone. I'm kind of getting ahead of the story a little bit, but I'm trying to stress how important it is in our, in our uh, raising children and being the kind of parents that we need to be. Because if we don't, 
It's, it's much like the kite. We can build a, we can have children, we can bring them into this world, but through the, through the training process, through the raising process, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, uh, the building process of the kite, but we're eventually going to get to a point where we're going to have to fly them. We're going to have to let them go. And when we do, and I'm talking about teenage years right now, if we've got parents who's got teenagers, or when you do have, your children are teenagers, you're going to get to a point where, do I pull the string down because it's pulling away from me? Or do I let it out a little bit and give it a little more slack? What do I do here? How do I do that? And all of you teenagers, I don't know how many we got here, but teenagers need to understand that's a challenge for parents. That's tough. That's hard for us to decide when to hold back and when to let out strength because we don't want you to crash to the ground. And I'm, we know that we can, we can make the mistake either way by pulling too hard or we're letting out too fast. I hope that makes some sense. <coughs> I think we've used this passage before in our study. Except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it. And again, I want to stress how important it is for us to use godly principles. And that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit this morning. God expects us to teach our children. God expects us to teach our children. God does not expect the school system to teach your children. God does not expect the church to be the primary source of your children being taught spiritual things. I don't believe that. I believe God expects us to teach our children. Now, nothing wrong with taking our children to church so that they can learn and be taught in church. We learn, we we. We uh, learn that way. There's nothing wrong with going to school or going to a... uh, uh, Am I... What am I doing here? Okay. There's nothing wrong with us uh, 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 allowing our children to go to school or homeschooling or whatever process that we might use. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point I want to make is that it's our responsibility as parents to teach our children. Parents need to understand the uh, principle that's laid down in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you remember the book of Deuteronomy, uh, this is Moses. It's the the last last speech, I guess you could say, or the last giving of Moses' part to the children of Israel just before they go into the promised land. Remember that? And so he's reminding them everything that God has taught them. It's not a verbatim of everything that was done in Leviticus, Numbers, and Exodus, but there's much of what what took place there is reiterated in the book of Deuteronomy. And what he's doing, he says, God's given you a law. He's brought you out of bondage. He's given you a law, and you're going into this promised land. Moses couldn't do that, but you're going into this promised land. Now, I want you to remember what God has done for you, what He's taught you, and what you need to embrace and remember and do. And that's what Deuteronomy is about. It's the second giving, if you will, of the law. It's what Deuteronomy means. So what does the passage say? In Deuteronomy 6, 3 through 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. If we want to have godly children and godly parents, we need to, we need to love God. That needs, we need to have the right kind of relationships. Fathers need to have the right kind of relationships with God. Mothers need to have the right kind of relationship with God. If we don't do that with all of our heart, all of our soul, we're not going to be successful. We'll be hypocrites if we try to do something 
try to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord if we don't have the Lord really truly in our heart. It's very important that we understand how important that is. Put God foremost in our heart. Verse 6 of this same chapter, These words shall be, uh, which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Again, stressing the heart and how important it is. Verses 7 through 9, same passage. And thou shalt teach them diligently the words that you have, that God gives you, that goes into your heart, that you really truly embrace, that you live by, that you believe in. Then you'll teach it to your children diligently. You shall talk of them when you, uh, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind, it, bind them as a sign upon thine hand, and, uh, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the boast, uh, post of thy house and on thy gates. You know what that word diligently means? I did this lesson over in Arkansas. We didn't have PowerPoint over there. Hadn't made it to Arkansas yet. To that part of Arkansas at least. I'll probably have somebody here from Arkansas. And I reached in my pocket for a pocket knife and I didn't have one. So a guy loaned me one in church. And then the next day he gave me one. <laughs> so, so this is a pocket knife that he gave me. You know what the word diligently means? It doesn't mean knife. But what it does mean, it means to repeat over and over as to whet. Whet. W-H-E-T. Now, some of you guys have had pocket knives, and uh, anymore they make them where you don't have to sharpen them much. But back, uh, back when I was growing up, you had to sharpen those knives. And the way you did that was put it on a wet, wet, W-H-E-T, wet rock, and move it back and forth, back and forth. I remember the first knife I got was a Red Rider pocket knife. It had a blade on it that was about a sixteenth of an inch thick and had no edge whatsoever. And I would go out and I would get me a rock and I'd try to sharpen that knife and I'd hit it two or three times and it wouldn't cut anything. I couldn't shave the hair on my arms. I couldn't split a blade. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't whittle with it. Of course, it was designed to be dull and not hurt me. So I'd hit it a few more times and it wouldn't, wouldn't sharpen. My granddaddy had a pocket knife and it was like a razor and I never got to hold that knife until he passed away. And then I still have it in, at home. And it was razor sharp. And you know why? When he sharpened that knife, he used that wet rock over and over and over, maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes, over and over. And he might do that every day, or he might do that two or three days a week, just as in his spare time whenever he was sitting around sharpening that knife, and it was razor sharp. You see? That's what the word diligently means. Again, to the passage, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. The context... Plus the word and what it means is you do it over and over and over and over. We don't just do it one time. Come on here, get together kids. We're going to talk about the Bible a little bit. We're going to talk about being godly a little bit. It's not that way. It's living it. It's having it in your heart. And it's teaching them every day. When you get up of a morning, when you sit in the house, when you walk in the way, when you're out in the field together, when you're riding in the car together, when you're looking at problems and issues, you teach it to your children. It's like whenever you have a, you're standing, a, you're in a show ring, or, or in a, you've you got a child that's showing a pig, a 13-year-old that's showing a hog. 
I'm going to give you a true life example. A 13-year-old is showing a hog. And uh, we're having trouble getting the weight off of him so he can be as heavy as he can possibly be without being too heavy and being disqualified. And the ag teacher crawls into the pen. And my son was in 4-H, but the ag teacher took care of these kids. And the ag teacher crawls into the pen and he gives it a shot of Lasix. You know what that is, don't you? You know what Lasix is. He gets rid of water. A lot of us, as we get older, have to take something like that, you know, to kind of get rid of that water that builds up in our system because it's damaging to us. But by giving it a shot to an animal, you can pull a lot of water, a lot of water off this hog in a short period of time and let make it lose several pounds real quickly. You can also kill the hog. But the most important thing, it's a violation of the rules. And I'm standing there, or the father, I guess it's me. I'm standing there, because it was, and I'm looking, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm giving her a shot of lessons. I said, that's against the rules. He said, you want to show this pig or not? I said, it's against the rules. And while I'm talking to him, my 13-year-old son looks at the ag teacher and then looks at me. He looks at the ag teacher and then he looks at me. What's he looking for? What's he trying to do? What are you going to do, Daddy? You just got through saying it's a violation of the, of the rules. You understand what I'm talking about? That's the kind of teaching that needs to be done. When you, when you teach one thing, you teach honesty, you teach integrity, you teach being uh, true to your word, uh, following the laws and following the rules, but then when it comes to you, or something that maybe is important, it's alright to bend it just a little bit. You see, when children grow up seeing that, that's not teaching, not teaching them uh, the, the godly principles that God would have to teach. That's just one very small, small thing. It's not necessarily sitting down with a Bible open and saying, here's what the Word says, you know. It's teaching principles and saying, this is what God says in His Word. And this is how we live that out. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admiration, or excuse me, admonition of the Lord. This is what the Lord wants us to do. This is the kind of person the Lord wants us to be. This is the kind of character that He expects us to have. When we think about, when we think about uh, things that will uh, help us be drawn closer to the Lord, we need to think about. Uh, Again, going back to the example that we would set for our children, how we nurture them, how we uh, admonish them in the principles of God's Word. Let me move on. Some of the things that we might teach them. Teaching them to honor and to show respect. Is that something that's lacking today? Uh, It certainly is. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24, and these are just a couple of verses. You might find some that are more more appropriate for this, but pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. A, fitly, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Proper manners. We have a, we have, we have a, a society that, we, that our children are growing up in that has moved away from that. I taught, uh, I taught history... 
in government at Murray College for 10 years, from 1995 to, to 2005. And uh, in that 10-year span, I can't imagine teachers that teach 40 and 50 years what they see, but in that 10-year span, I saw, I saw respect for authority, respect for people, just go from one extreme almost to another. When I started teaching, students would come in the house, uh, boys would come into the classroom with their cowboy hats on. This is Murray State College. It was kind of an agricultural college with their cowboy hats on, their baseball caps or whatever. And when they walked in the door, they pulled it off. And it was Mr. Jones or Mr. Smith or whoever the teacher might be. And it was, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And the last year I taught, the last two years I taught, I, I almost didn't get through it. But it was total disrespect. I couldn't get them to take their hat off. And I had no, no real authority behind me to get them to do that. Come in with their dip of skull and their caps pulled down over their eyes. And if they found out my first name, that's what they would use if they used anything at all. See, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with our society? What are we teaching our children? You see, that's, that's the thing that I, need to, that I want us to think about. The importance of teaching them and training them proper things. I guarantee you, you teach children, we teach our children to be polite, to respect other people, teach our young men to, teach, uh, to respect young ladies, and to honor them, and to be respectful to them, teach them to use proper language, yes sir, no sir, you, they'll, they'll never regret it. I promise you, they'll never regret it. We have these two little grandchildren that come over and their parents teach them, but they say, can I leave the table now? Isn't that neat? Unfortunately, we didn't do that so much with our children, but their parents are teaching them to do that. May I leave the table now? It shows respect. It shows honor. These are the kind of things that we can do in our homes and the things that we need to need to stress. Respect. The passages I have down here have to do with our government and have to do with authority over us. You know, as I associate with people, I can almost tell you the person that I come in contact with, whether or not, and I don't want anybody to be offended, but I can almost tell you whether they've been in the military or not been in the military. Now, that's not always true because there's a lot of people that have the same same uh, demeanor, if you will, the same uh, politeness, the same respectful attitude towards authority who have not been in the military, especially in the church. We find a lot of people like that. But I'm talking about out here in the world. You can just almost tell. But see, we learn some things in the military. They teach you real strongly how important it is. I think I told you last week or sometime in the, in the past how important it was for me to see the, uh, listen to the national anthem at the football game. See, as that flag's going up. The seventh inning stretch at a baseball game. God bless America. And what that does to us. I'm not trying to make you a patriarch here, patriotic here, but, but understanding how important it is to respect things of value to us and teach that to our children. Respect authority. Romans chapter 13, 1 through or 1, it should be 1 through 4. Uh, 1 through 4 talks about our government and how we're to honor our government, how we're to pay tribute to our government. You always like your government? No, I don't. 
I don't like some of the things they do. Uh, probably get in trouble here for this right now, but we're getting close to the end of my time down here. I guess I can get away with it. If President Obama, I don't agree with President Obama on most of the stuff that he does, especially in regards to domestic policy. But you know what? If he came in here, I'd need to honor him as my president. And I want my children to do that too. Do you want your children to do that? To respect authority? I know a particular family, and I, uh, I know several families. But here's some of the... Give you just, let me just throw some things down here. Y'all ever had a ticket? Is that a form of chastisement? You bet it is. You did something wrong. Okay. No reason for me to be disrespectful. My wife, we're at, uh, we're at uh, church one Sunday morning. It's about five minutes till church time, ten minutes till church time. I said, oh, by the way, did you bring the clothes that we washed from the baptistry? We had baptized two people the day before, and we thought we were going to have some more that morning. And I said, they were laying on the kitchen table. She said, no, I'll run back home and get them. She did. And we have one of those lights that's five minutes long. You know what I mean? If you're turning left. And so she pulls up to this light. She's turning left. And she waits for this turn signal, which was probably no longer than any other. But it seemed like a long time. Not a soul anywhere. So she decides, well, there's nobody around. This is silly. So she ran it. 220 bucks. 220 bucks. She said, I wanted to ask him if he didn't have something better to do than to sit in the shade at an intersection where nobody's going. That's on Sunday morning. You see? What was that ticket? It was a form of chastisement, you see. Let me ask you something. I have a four-year-old grandson, a two-year-old great, or, or granddaughter, <laughs> granddaughter. If I wrote them a ticket for some, some form of misbehavior on their part, do you think that would do any good to them? I promise you, my wife's never going to turn left again. At a light. She might even set through one. Just to make sure. You see, because of that ticket. It worked with her. But it's not going to work with a child. We have to do something else. And I know a lot of people say, oh, well, if spanking is a bad deal. The spanking is a bad deal. I went to a seminar in Oklahoma City one time, or in Edmond, Oklahoma, when I was uh, doing some child abuse program in Tishomingo. And I listened to this lady talk for 20 minutes about child abuse and about how, the, uh, how terrible it was and kept referring to this second grade teacher that had abused this child by beating him at school. And I, I didn't know anything about this. So I'm asking people, there were 600 people there, and I asked some later, I said, what was this about? And they said, oh, it was in the paper. This lady, she's been relieved of her, her responsibilities. Did they check it out? I checked it out. I kept wanting to know. You know what she did? She took a child that wouldn't sit still and was misbehaving and spat at him three times. And what bothered me about that was this child beater well, he wasn't a child beater. She spanked the child. Now, maybe you don't believe in doing that. I can live with that. But there's a lot of difference between the two. I raised three children, and I promise you, they got a lot of spankings. They were beaten a lot. And I don't think there's one of them will tell you it hurt them one iota. Not a bit. Now, can you do it? Absolutely. You remember what we talked about in our second presentation here? 
the principle of love. And that's what it is when you, when you have to chastise a child. I had a son. Oh, he's six or seven. And he was breaking glass. I mean, if you set a Coke bottle out in the shop, he'd break it. If I had an old window that I leaned up against the building, he'd break it. There was some fascination that he had with breaking glass. I had this old tractor that I had to turn the gas off in order to make it, make it run. And it was, it was coming up Friday evening and I wanted to get out and get our garden plowed. And I was really excited about getting off work and coming home, getting this tractor going. And I come and I turned on the gas and it just ran out on the tractor. And I, I'm thinking, what's that? What's going on? And I looked and this settlement bub on this little deal here where you turn it was gone. Little glass bulb that catches the gas and lets it settle, the, 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 the trash settle to the bottom before it goes into the carburetor. And it was gone. I said, well, how could that be gone? And then I looked, it's made out of glass. And I looked around and there's broken glass. And there's a hammer. It didn't take a genius to put two and two together. The last thing I told him, the last glass he had broken, I said, I'm going to wear you out, young man, if you break another glass. <coughs> And then here's Sisters Broke. And I couldn't find him. And I looked. And I asked Margaret, I said, where is David? And I think God intervened to keep me from finding him. Because it would not have been good for me to have found him right then. I was angry because my whole weekend was ruined. I couldn't accomplish what I needed to. When I did find him, and I had, my temper had settled down, I got over the anger, and I realized that he was just trying to help me. He was just playing. He didn't mean to break the glass. He didn't mean. It was just. Somebody's going to ask, did you spank him? I said, yeah, I spanked him. But it's probably the gentlest spanking he ever got, because I'd cooled off, you see. He understood. He understood the consequences of a rule. He knew he broke the rule, whether he intended to or not. And, and we worked it out. You understand what we're talking about. But listen to what the Bible says real quick and we'll close and then we'll finish this, this afternoon. A foolish son is a grief to his father and a bitterness to, his, uh, to her that bear him. Proverbs 22 and 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child and the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Would not, uh, withhold not correction from the child for if thou beatest him with a rod he shall not die. I know it sounds awful severe, doesn't it? Sounds awful severe. Children are beaten to death all the time, aren't they? Yeah, they are. That's not what they You've got love in there. If you chastise the child, withhold not correction from the child. If you correct the child, if you use physical chastisement, you use a rod, he's not going to die. He's not going to kill him. If you do it with love. The rod of reproof giveth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Again, that 10 years that I taught, I could just almost tell you those that were, that were disciplined strongly and made to obey rules and, and meet responsibilities for not uh, obeying them, uh, uh, I could just almost identify them. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give thee, or give delight unto my soul. We'll uh, finish this this afternoon. In regards to correction, One more thing real quickly. My son David, that boy, 
that broke that glass when he's six years old. I promise you, after that that little event, <laughs> if he knocked if if he knocked accidentally knocked the glass off the table, it scared him to death. Even when he was 17, 18 years old, uh, he learned a lesson. I don't believe he ever broke a glass again after that. Uh, we have to we have to use the kind of correction that's appropriate at the time. We'll talk more about that this afternoon. The uh, my son the other day he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't do like I did. He's a little, he's a better father. I was a father at 21, 22, 23 when my children were born. He was a father at forty and forty one. So he's a better father than I am. He's he's experienced some things more. He has more control. Uh, his son, we were at the lake, a little place we have at the lake, and my grandson, Ryland, done some things, and David had told him and corrected him over and over and over. And he says, if you do that again, Ryland, I'm going to spank you. And uh, he did it again. And David said, come here, Ryland. He picked him up and said, Daddy, you're not going to do that. He said, pick me up. And he took him over to his trailer, which is right next to ours, and he went inside. And they were gone for about 20 minutes. And... Uh, I said, what do you think is happening over there? And Tiffany says, I know good and well what's happening over there. But what he did, there was a lot of people around. What he did was carried out the instruction that he had given him. And then he went over and he, he carried it out in a private way. And I thought that was very appropriate myself. And he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't punish him two ways, by spanking him and embarrassing him as well amongst everybody else. He went over and he spanked him and he brought him back and his tears were dried up and things were fine and he went on his way and he got over that problem. Need to be careful how we do that. We'll talk more about that this afternoon. These kind of studies, it's kind of hard to lead us up to an invitation, but we never want to close our service with a, uh, without the gospel invitation. The opportunity for you to be obedient to the faith, an opportunity if you're here and you need the prayers of the church to respond and and to seek those prayers. And if there's anyone here this morning that has a specific need that they'd like the church to pray for in their behalf, or if there's someone that has not obeyed the gospel and we can assist you in that, the church leadership here stands ready uh, to assist you. If you have a need, come forward while we stand and sing.